Hey y'all, this is Sydney Charles and Tatum Larson, and you're listening to our new podcast, Black, Black Fan 2.5. As two Black literary journalism students, we wanted to find a way to diversify the narrative lens that people receive. We want to focus on Black stories, Black accomplishments, and Black lives. So let's get started. Oscar's so white controversy. I'm joined now by April Rain. Academy's president has said that this is a difficult but important conversation and it's time for change. So why has it taken so long for Hollywood to catch up with, let's say, corporate America in terms of casting diverse people? Well, I definitely wouldn't say that corporate America doesn't have issues with diversity as well. Um, I'm not sure why it's taken so long, and it's unfortunate that it has, because as the USC Annenberg study has pointed out, when there are not diverse casts in front of the camera, the movies don't make as much money as they could otherwise. In addition, this is not just about the actors and actresses, but also filmmakers behind the camera. There needs to be more inclusion of marginalized communities uh, as directors, as screenwriters, as cinematographers, everyone involved in the film should be the most qualified. The Academy promised to diversify in race and gender by 2020. We can't talk about representation without taking a trip to Wakanda. Black Panther was proof diversity sells. Forbes said it made $700 million nationally, more than a billion worldwide. It seems Black Hollywood is hopeful. Hey fam, after a long hiatus, Sydney and I are back with episode six of Black Fam. Today we're going to be discussing representation within film and media, and we're so excited to have you guys listen to the guests that we have on today. Sid, do you want to talk a little bit about some of the topics that we're going to be discussing? Yeah, so we had two really, really interesting guests for this episode. So some of the topics that we discussed were, again, as you know, film and media and how representation of POC kind of manifests itself into that industry. And it was so interesting, especially talking with Bambi Higgins, who is, or Professor Bambi Higgins at UCI. It was so interesting because she was able to really give a full on, I guess, explanation of why Mm -hmm. accurate representation is so important for the film industry. And in my experience, It was really hard growing up without any Black role models on television. You know, I think throughout our podcasting careers, we have talked a lot about um, representation in the educational spectrum. And we've talked a lot about um, representation in terms of just everything in general. But the reason why we chose film and media for this episode was because of the late passing of Chadwick Boseman. And again, such a tragedy, but the reason why his death was such a tragedy for many, especially many young Black kids, is because he was the first Black superhero. And, you know, it's just, it's amazing to see how far that we have come in the recent years, but I really, really, I was very sad to hear about his loss. Very sad. Yeah, Yeah. and it was so sudden, and 
you know, there's already an upheaval of tragedy within this year, and to lose him was just a major loss. But right. we're also left with, right, 2020 is just <laughs> offensive on so many levels. It really is. But, but yeah, I, I mean, in a lot of ways, he left us with a huge catalog of pro-Black films, and we discussed that a little bit with our guests. Like Sydney was saying, it's hard growing up without seeing yourself on screen. Mm -hmm. As vapid as that could sound, it is important mm -hmm. um, to see yourself represented. And I think now more than ever, because of the Chadwick Bozemans of the world, we're seeing people who look like us and act like us and aren't just the model minority figures on screen. And I think that's really important. Yeah. It is so important. And, you know, his death was a loss for everyone. So with this episode, I really wanted to explore kind of just how important it is for accurate representation in the film and media industry. Right. You know, I can only hope, as you were saying, that the film media and entertainment industries will continue on this trajectory, especially since this is such a pivotal moment in history. I really, really want them to continue on this um, trajectory of exploring um, the different ways that other people, non-POC and POC, can educate themselves and sort of immerse themselves within a culture that isn't really the majority, so. Right, yeah, exactly. And to sh display the fact that POC contain multitudes, we're not you know, one-faced characters that you can just like plop into a TV show and right. put a diversity band-aid on like huge bullet wounds. Like, no, right. we deserve full-length episodes, full-length storylines, fleshed-out right. characters. Because, yeah, we deserve superheroes. Straight yeah, up. we deserve superheroes. We deserve, you know, all sorts of stories that encapsulate, you know, real life. And I think that we explore that with the following guests. We're going to start out with Miss Bambi Higgins. And later on in the show, we're going to be talking with Lauren Washington, who is a student filmmaker. She's very lovely as well. And yeah, we're just going to jump into it. So our first interview is with Dr. Bambi Higgins, who is an associate professor in the Department of Film and Media Studies at UC Irvine. Her work explores race, class, gender, and sexuality in American comedy across media. Her most well-renowned book, Laughing Mad, explores the importance of Black comedic figures throughout the years. We were very excited to talk to her, and here is that interview. Today, we have the pleasure of speaking with Professor Bambi Higgins. She is an associate professor in the Department of Film and Media Studies at UC Irvine, and she also really places emphasis on African-American studies as well. Thank you for coming to speak with us, Bambi. You're quite welcome. This episode deals with the pertinence of Black film creators and Black films in general, and we know that's something that is centered in your personal work. So we wanted to ask you what your work looks like as a professor and also as a creator yourself. Can you go a little bit into that? Um, well, uh, the creative activities really happen in between doing my work. <laughs> you know, teaching and doing scholarly work. And it, it's, you know, it, it's really not all that different from how it was when I was in graduate school or when I was in undergrad. Um, there's a lot of reading, a, a lot of watching, a lot of musing about 
how these things are connected. And sort of trying to, in this moment, figure out how I can write things that are pertinent, Mm -hmm. not just relevant to film and media studies, but relevant to the particular historical moment that we're living in. That's harder than you might think. I mean, my first book, Laughing Mad, The Black Comic Persona in Post-Soul America, focused on sort of the development of Black comics from the civil rights era on. But those really, many of those really came of age in the 80s. You know, there there isn't as much of, you know, again, I think you learn as things go on. I had a chapter uh, about Whoopi Goldberg that also included this, the discussion of Moms Mabley and Pearl Bailey. And what ended up happening is I got hired to be a, a historical consultant for um, Whoopi Goldberg's documentary, uh, Whoopi Goldberg Presents Moms Mabley. Oh, wow. And I learned so much more, sort of wrote a different article about Moms Mabley and Wanda Sykes and, you know, included issues of sexuality, which were not a part of the narrative before I started being able to look into it with more depth, not just what Moms was saying, but how she was positioned within, you know, the the world of the Apollo way back when. And, and so it I guess it, it's always being open to learning something new. My work goes across medium, film and television. Uh, in many ways, I would think of myself a little bit more as a TV girl than a film girl. And I say girl with the G-R-R-R-L, mm-hmm. not the diminutive. And because of that, I, I've always felt that television... Um, because it's a domestic medium and because we just grew up with it. And when I say television, I mean streaming services. I mean uh, premium cable because they're all based in the television formats, whether it's the 30-minute sitcom or the hour-long drama. Um, That's all TV. Uh, and and I'd argue in some ways there are more interesting things going on in television than there are um, in in film right now. Like Lovecraft County, for example, is just yeah, we heard fascinating. About fascinating. Can you explain why seeing black stories portrayed in a visual format? Um, why is that so powerful to you? Um, I think it's always powerful when you can see yourself on the screen. Um, and, and I think what's even more powerful is when there's a recognition that there's no monolithic blackness, that, that we're telling, just like there's mo- no monolithic whiteness, that we're, we're, when we're trying to tell stories, about black lived experiences, it has to be the plural. 
because it's determined by region, it's determined by class, it's determined by gender, sexuality, gender identity. All of those things play a role in conveying a particular Black experience. Mm -hmm. There just isn't one. I mean, I, I am cautiously hopeful um, after, you know, after Black Panther. And, and again, that's a Marvel movie. It, it already has a built-in demo and pulled in people who would, might not necessarily go to Marvel movies because it was, it was a Black movie. And uh, I remember going to see it at, um, in, in, over in uh, Hollywood at the El Capitan uh, mm. opening week. I, and it was like it opened at midnight and I saw it that Thursday night. First of all, it was packed. I saw more kente cloth than I'd ever seen in my life. <laughs> um, and instead of having previews or whatever, they had a DJ. Oh and, and so there were just these wonderfully, it was this wonderful celebration. Is Black Panther a flawed movie? Of course it is. Mm -hmm. But it's flawed in the way most superhero movies are flawed. Mm -hmm. And rest in peace, Chadwick Boseman, amazing actor. Right. Amazing, amazing actor. I, you know, we did Blue the King. But I think that experience, so that even that, collective experience it, it, it is important um that doesn't mean we stop asking for different kinds of stories but that kind of box office can be helpful it's sort of like in the in the 90s it, it was black met hood late 80s early 90s black met hood they were hood stories with a few exceptions you know well, but not, they're, they're later on in the 90s. So I think, and, and the idea of showing a, a Black elite or a Black middle class, I'm just thinking of Boomerang as an example, was kind of like, wait a minute, these are all middle class Black people. What's going on here? And, and, and it, was, it was received as more of a fable than anything else. When it was just a basic romantic comedy. Mm -hmm. And and so, and it, and it, it you know I guess there it, it's interesting that the two black two black films I can think of that both had just mass appeal are coming to America and Black Panther, and both of those center on non domestic blacks, and so I think I think that's interesting too because that sort of mythologizes and exoticizes these presentations of Black elite. And, you know, you're taking us through a really interesting timeline. Um, in your opinion, what do you think is the current social and political dynamic right now? And how do you think that kind of interacts with the film or media industry? Besides the fact that we're living in a toxic socio-political dumpster fire, <laughs> um, I, I think that there are. I'm of I'm I'm of two minds. I'm glad that there is this 
emphasis on um, black content creators, black creatives in, in general. Um, there's a, a re sort of a rediscovery on streaming platforms of black movies that they didn't really pay attention to before. Mm -hmm. All of that's great, uh, you know, uh, on one level. But until you have executives who are invested in telling black stories and brown stories and indigenous stories mm -hmm. um we're not you're not going to see genuine systemic change mm. um this is it's sort of like black lives matter is sort of becoming a um a signal of downness mm -hmm. for people selling things and that makes me, it, you know, it, it, it's that phrase, that hashtag is so powerful and I think it's getting diluted. Yeah, it's being capitalized on in many ways. Oh yeah, yeah. And I can hear what you're saying. It's the same within the film and television industry in that your actions need to match up with your, you know, your outfacing values. So. Yeah. yeah, and I also think, um, you know, there are, there are the incredibly powerful folks, um, you know, the Oprahs. Mm -hmm. Well, there's only one Oprah. Um, but Eva DuVernay, for example, mm -hmm. is wielding more and more power. Ryan Coogler is wielding more and more power. But the fact that we can probably go Issa Rae in terms of, of in terms of television, mm -hmm. actually finally getting, uh, I mean, but it's interesting too that Issa Rae, even though um, the adventures of awkward black girl, misadventures of awkward black girl on um, the web series was so popular mm -hmm. and uh, people actually, fans of the show actually helped fund a second season up. You know, that was the kind of investment there was. And yet when, you know, one deal with Shonda Rhimes th fell through um, and her deal with HBO um, tacked on uh, Larry Wilmore initially as a co-creator and who is a, a known a television entity and also um, later Pre Prentice Penny would sort of take a Wilmore space and as a result of this she didn't control her writer's room for I know the first season and probably the second season of Insecure as well. You oh. normally think that and it was a lot of well they don't have experience blah 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 blah. Now, and, and I would say that um, I don't believe the same restrictions were put on Lena Dunham with, um, with girls. Mm -hmm. uh, so, but of course she had, she was touched by, you know, the Judd Apatow wand. 
And, and so they're, again, the cachet you bring with you impacts the work that you can do. Right. I was going to ask you a little bit about how um, these individuals, in your opinion, portray their film and activism. Would it be in a more positive sense or would it be in a more negative sense of the Black community? I think um, the more expansive the, view, the views that are being given or created, uh, the more progressive the images are. At, at the same time, I think that there has to be a space for all of those things. For example, I, I was never a huge fan of Martin, the Fox show, or even Martin Lawrence in films. I am not crazy about black men dressing up as fat black women. Just my preference. I appreciate the fact that my younger sister, my youngest sister loves Martin. And in fact, we went and saw Martin Lawrence when you started touring again together. And it was a funny show. Um, but it, it, it's that there has to be a space for Martin and for Atlanta. And there, there has to be a space where there are certain elements of quote unquote quality that focus upon um, sort of technical aspects of production. You know, beautiful, uh, you know, Atlanta has, is just gorgeously shot at times. The same is true with Insecure, because, oh, they really actually know how to like Black people. But, but I think there are times that I find Atlanta just a little too idiosyncratic. And I think I enjoy Insecure more, not just because of the gender thing, but because I kind of see myself as an awkward Black girl. Mm -hmm. Same. <laughs> Very much same. You know, I'm a blurred. And, and, and so there's this space for that. Although it's downplayed more in Insecure than it was in The Misadventures of Awkward Black Girl. Um, but regardless, I, I, I think that, I, I think there are progressive views that show me a whole lot of different kinds of blackness versus going with the the old tropes but there are times when i love the old tropes like i could watch fridays right now and laugh my ass off because there's something about it that is comforting that is really familiar mm -hmm. When I was finishing the first book, I um, I was writing the epilogue right as Katrina was happening. You know, back when Kanye was still black. The thing that, that struck me, because I was writing about comedy and nothing was funny. No, you know, nothing was funny. Much like this moment. Mm -hmm. um, and... And comedy is my focus in both film, television, podcasting, well, all three. And one of the things that I did during that time 
and it embarrasses me now because he embarrasses me now. But I watched Steve Harvey's first uh, hour on HBO and his first hour special. And the reason I watched it and, and was because it was unapologetically black. Mm -hmm. It was not translating anything for anyone. And we all knew what was being talked about. And at that moment, when black people were, were looters and white people were scavenging to survive, um, it screwed up. Mm -hmm. and, and I wanted to have that little moment of comfort and ease they have the power, they have the power to use their platform, not use their platform to take over, but use their platform to signal boost the activism that's actually taking place. Right, and do you think in this current moment that's what film and television has to be in order to be meaningful? Well, I think film, television, regardless of the genre. And I think comedy is, is uniquely positioned to make people think about stuff that they normally wouldn't be comfortable thinking about. Because if they're laughing, then you have a chance to tell them things that they wouldn't normally swallow willingly. Mm -hmm. It's like laughing at the pain almost. Yeah, well, it, it, but it's also not just about the people who identify it's about people who don't necessarily identify with the experience but understand but are open enough to start hearing what people the lived experiences the impact that that has today right um and because you know if black folks could solve racism we would have done it you know, it, and, and I was just, I'm on a, um, an association for uh, the Society of Cinema and Media Studies, which is the international association for our field. Okay. And we have a task force that's now become a committee um, in anti-racism, equity, and diversity committee. And we didn't just discover anti-racism this year. Uh, it's been going on for three years. And, and saying, you know, saying in this big round table, you know, there are many of us who people will not hear. That's why we need people not just to be able to say, I'm not racist. That can be passive. We need you to be anti-racist. I think that it, it, that takes place in every aspect of life, in every workplace, you know, from the boardroom at HBO to, you know, the backroom staff meeting at, at Best Buy. It's, a, it's a, ch a change in attitude that has got to be incredibly dynamic and unwavering. And these little, I guess that's how everybody can take a part in like activism, but these little acts of being anti-racist in whatever workspace that they may occupy. 
Exactly. And they can also vote. That's the really important thing. Oh, right. Yes. Yes, vote. (laughs) I have the strong belief that once consciousness is raised, it can't be lowered. Mm-hmm. Once well, you know something, right? It, it's you have to actively act against what you know, yeah. and um, and that's why I think, particularly in education, it's so important to work hard to be anti-racist, anti-sexist, anti anti-homophobia, transphobia, xenophobia. You know, we have to work actively against all of these things because as long as one group is oppressed, it it can be you next. And that boils down to even something as simple as watching a film or television show. It's down to the things that we consume on a daily basis. And on that note, we're so thankful to have talked to you and taken part in this enlightening discussion. We have so much to internalize now and I'm sure our audience does too. So thank you so much for your time. This was wonderful. Well, you're very welcome. Next, we have Lauren Washington. Washington is a third year at Northwestern University from Kansas City, Missouri, studying radio, television, and film with a minor in entrepreneurship and innovation. She tells stories that intentionally represent people, ideas, and cultures using creative platforms. As a young rising film director and screenwriter, Washington is passionate about storytelling while simultaneously bringing new voices and stories to the forefront. Washington's work is rooted in her experiences as a Black woman and exploring characters with complex desires or backgrounds that allow society to explore human nature and psychology. She enjoys conflicts that deal with reimagining oppressive worlds and examining the extensive dimensions of Blackness. We're sitting right here and we're talking to Lauren Washington. She is the creator of the film we're going to be examining today, The Importance of the Representation in Film and Media. How are you doing today, Lauren? I'm good. Thank you guys for having me. No problem. And we're super excited to be doing this because, Lauren, you're you're a student as well, correct? Yes, I am. Junior studying film and uh, entrepreneurship at Northwestern. Nice, nice. So how did you get started in the film industry? What what avenues did you take? How did you get interested? Right, yeah, that was definitely a journey. Um, in high school, I was so busy with soccer, and I thought I wanted to play in college, the oh. whole shebang. Okay. <laughs> yeah, and so junior year up until then, I, you know, I, I took a lot of um, photography classes in high school, film photography, and I kind of just became really drawn to the camera. And then and the summer of junior year, I kind of just started watching a bunch of like short films on Vimeo. Yeah. And I was about to start this club soccer team. And then my dad was like, maybe you just shouldn't do it. Um, mm-hmm. And I realized I wanted to do something with, you know, visuals and storytelling. And my cousin is a photographer, Sharice May in DC. And she was uh, showing her f- pictures at the NAACP convention that year. And she's like, why don't you just come with me? And so I went, she surprised me with the press badge. And so I was taking pictures, so nervous. Mm. Um, and then after that experience, I was like, okay, I think I want to do film. 
something yeah. of that nature. And I just made a whole new list of schools. <laughs> and yeah, that's kind of taking me here. And then what prompted you to make your, your film, The Importance of Representation? Was there a specific moment within the media landscape that prompted that? Or is that something that was just kind of within your mind, within your film journey? Mm -hmm. Definitely. It's funny because my senior year of high school, um, we have this thing that's called like uh, capstone projects and you have to pick a topic and make this whole like long research paper and a creative project. And I, as I was, you know, new to the film and, you know, industry and trying to like realize I want to be in it, I thought, why not do a project like this? Mm -hmm. And I, I didn't know how to start. Uh, my like English teacher was amazing and she kind of, um, told me to look at representation because she is disabled herself and she was talking about how there's a lack of rep representation not only in race but also you know disability looking at disability and characters and how we're so inclined not to show that on screen and behind the screen and so that was really interesting for me because I didn't think about it in that way and so I went on this whole crazy journey to make <laughs> this film and reaching out to any in any like, person in the industry who would respond to me and that was that was really crazy. I guess, can we hear more about you, the artistic process of putting together something as amazing as this? Like, Yeah, no, thank you so much for your kind words. Um, you know, I, I didn't really know too much about putting together like a short documentary, a short film. <laughs> the editing process was a nightmare. <laughs> just yeah. I, I was like, I don't know what to do. But um, it was to approach it more of an interview style and kind of just build it around their words. Um, but yeah, the artistic process, you know, I was so new to this, um, kind of just had experience with photography. And so I, I literally like made a list of people who I thought in different sectors of the industry, like I tried to find, you know, filmmakers, directors, writers, even people in fashion, just who I could really talk to and could speak to this. Um, and Instagram DM'd people, Facebook messaged and emailed and got a lot of no responses and some just very surprising, like people responded. Um, mm -hmm. And yeah, from there, I think that is kind of just how it informed my project, whoever responded. And then we just kind of, I kind of just molded it in the final editing process. But yeah, but yeah. yeah, no, we definitely, Sydney and I get the whole reaching out and getting rejected, but being surprised <laughs> by you know, some of the people who reach back out and say, yeah, I'd like to be interviewed. Right. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. No, we could definitely relate to that process. But that's, yeah. that's so awesome. And that is awesome. Yeah. Thank you. And did I hear that you, this was in high school? Yes, it was. It wow. Was that's <laughs> so cool. Thank you. Thank you. I was so I don't know what came over me, but I was like, I have to do this. No, yeah, you probably saw, you saw the need, right? That was mm -hmm. something that we definitely noticed within the film. There's a definite need for re representation. So did you <laughs> right. feel that it was not necessarily your duty, but within your best interest as a filmmaker yourself to make this film, to spread awareness? Yeah, you know, I think for me, um, I found it so necessary and that was around the time I think Black Panther was coming out um mm. and so I was like I just was so I never like had seen anything like this before um and I have a little sister she I don't know how old she was at the time but she's 10 now and um I just was thinking of her and trying to go into this industry that is so widespread and where people who don't look like us are really in the industry and mm -hmm. I just kept thinking about that and my teacher was so amazing and thinking about all the other, 
you know, categories that are represented as well, not even just with race, mm-hmm. um, you know, woman and you know, disability and all this. So I was like, <laughs> this is so important. People, you know, it's the conversation was kind of happening, but it wasn't as huge. And so I was like, this is just the perfect time, you mm-hmm. know, to help others and also myself, maybe it's a feel a bit better about where we're going in the industry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, of course. And what were some of the unexpected things that you realized about the entertainment and media industry when you were creating this film? Yeah, there were there were a lot of um, surprising uh, facts. I, you know, I was doing a lot of research for my the research paper, and I was looking at I think it was this USC like Annenberg study, um, and they always do kind of a data collection of representation on and off screen. Uh, I think every year, and that was just so surprising um, because I, I didn't really know a lot of the behind the scenes terms just didn't really know about directors and writers and what that really meant but mm-hmm. just to see that on a visual scale about how, like how you know there's a literally has not been a lot of women directing maybe like one or two in the past few years mm-hmm. uh, I think that was around the time with like Ava DuVernay and everything um, and just seeing also the fact that really surprised me was the lack of dialogue that uh, you know black people and other POC um, had on screen was just so minimum and you don't even realize when you're watching on screen but like they may have like one line of dialogue and it's just not you know it's not really of an impact but a white character will have so many lines and be the forefront that was just very shocking and also I was interested in I was researching the history of the film industry for my paper and I found it so surprising how you know back then we had this wave of like sitcoms and everything going on and then it just, it kind of took a, a, a flip, I think, um, and said there was a big setback. So that was just very interesting to kind of see this wave, but it just, something happened along the way. Right. Um, and what do you think happened? Yeah, <laughs> I definitely probably got the answer. I'm trying to think back in my paper, but I think, you know, there was something on Twitter the other day, it was focused more on colorism in the industry and kind of how that was that switch. But I feel like it's hard to know exactly, but I feel like there might have been kind of just a new standard, I feel like. Um, And that may have something to do with colorism as well in the industry, just looking at the lack of dark skin characters throughout (laughs) everything. But I feel like maybe just because sitcoms, like that was something that would like satisfy, but then you kind of see the fall off of like black sitcoms. And maybe since those aren't there anymore, they're like, okay, they can have this. But now with like, there has been kind of a lack of those types of things. So maybe now our takeover into film and TV and everything, mm-hmm. it's just like, you know, there's not a lot of access. And there's also, there's not a lot of, you know, POC execs, the ones making the decisions. Right. Um, so that takes a huge, huge factor as well. It does. I saw this study, I can't remember the name of it, perhaps I'll include it on our website, but it was some study explaining how little percentage-wise POC are represented in this, in the film exec industry. And I was just, I was really shocked. And I'm talking like, that's like Asian and Black and Latinx, like, you know, so it was, that was unexpected for me also when I was researching for this episode. I, I guess, so I want to talk about the general question, the big question that your film addressed and what this episode is kind of addressing. So what is the importance of representation in film, according to you? Yeah, it's it's um, it's crazy because my answer has definitely changed a bit since then. Um, because you know, looking at some of the kids I interviewed and just seeing how important representation 
is to them. Like you cannot deny that representation is needed and it's important. But I think in this current moment, um, it's shifted a bit for me because I feel like the term has become kind of not oversaturated or almost co-opted by those in charge of white execs thinking that, okay, just representation, that's it. Like we just slap some, you know, POC characters, that'll be okay. But I think it needs to be more of, you know, intentional representation because for example, the new Milan movie, and I haven't seen it yet, but I've seen the criticism about, you know, I don't think there were Asian Asian writers or directors even involved with the story, but you'll see, you know, the all Asian cast and that could be representation, but is that, helping you know us is that serving what we need so I feel like to the point you know we deserve more than just you know people who look like us on screen but also you know that it's we're in charge of our stories and active participants in it and and behind the scenes you know and you know the execs and making decisions and also the writers and so I think that's something that needs to be expanded to the conversation a bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially also, you know, when people look like us too, sometimes those stories aren't to our best benefit as well. So I just think it's important to have that nuance as well and making yeah. sure that we go forward, you know? Right. Yes. There has to be a, a genuineness about it. I definitely see what you're saying about, you know, with movies like Mulan where yes, the whole cast is, Asian, but there is not a lot of POC representation within the writer's room and the producer's room. So yeah, definitely just having a, a genuine interest in putting people of color within positions of power is the best way to actually make some kind of tangible change. So mm-hmm. absolutely. Yeah. And it sort of it also ensures like p- putting POC on the back end, it ensures that the stories are portrayed accurately because if you if you don't have if you're writing a story let's say you gave the example of Mulan if you're writing that story and you don't have Asian writers in the in the writing room it's kind of like how do you know the stories are even authentic right exactly it's not you know it's not their story Mm -hmm. to really tell you know so definitely yeah it's their story through the lens of white writers white actors all that kind of stuff and that's not really that's kind of counterintuitive at that point because it's mm-hmm. it's very um, it's very noticeable who the movie is pandering to in that situation. Exactly, <laughs> using a culture as a backdrop rather than as rather than putting it at the forefront of the discussion. Mm-hmm. That's a great point. Yeah, exactly. So so many things are used as a backdrop. Expanding on the question of representation, why should the world of film reflect the world around us? Why is that important, especially you know for young? kids Mm -hmm. yeah you know I think through making that film um it really showed me just you know what I kind of knew just how important it is for young kids to see because you know that's starting so much of what they're going to know and learn as they grow so I think it's just important you know with this the world that we're living in all of this coming to earth uh for many people already that we know you know systemic racism everything that's going on I think it's more important more than ever that we have accurate and true stories and for young kids to see, you know, because I think without that, then, um, you know, this cycle is still going to continue. And a lot of people, when I was interviewing and reached, looking at the data, a lot of people only get, you know, their opinions through the media and what they see and on the news and on film and entertainment industry. So it's, a, it's so 
entertainment industry is so responsible for shaping so many um, opinions and, you know, um, critical thought and reflections. And so I think without stories that are helping that or having some sort of message or having some sort of positive intentional representation, then it's only going to hurt us, if that makes sense. For sure. And in your own career, you know, seeing that you are a junior and within the next couple of years, you're going to be moving on to the next phase of your life. What kind of work would you hope to put out into the world in order to actualize some of the goals that we're talking about here for the film and media industry? Right. Yeah. (laughs) It's so crazy um, that next year, you know, will be my last year. But um, <laughs> I think for me, um, especially during this, you know, downtime, um, it's, it's made me lean more into my writing and trying to find out what my artistic voice and what, what stories I want to tell. And so for me, I, I really want to, I really want to champion stories that, you know, speak to Black women, <laughs> first and foremost, and really, um, you know, showcase our world and our lens, um, and that's just going to come through. Since I'm a Black woman, I'm going always going to draw through those experiences, and I think I'm realizing I want to, <laughs> I really want to lean into um, reimagining oppressive worlds because I think so much that we cling to of old systems. I really want to use my writing in some way to help us reimagine, you know, a new world, or and also kind of just expose some of the dystopian realities we're in and yeah just kind of lean into that I'm just very inspired by some of the works of like uh, Michaela Coel and Jordan Peele and kind of just leaning into kind of absurd or thrillers just to bring up you know relevant topics and I think it's going to expand for me more as I go in but um, I'm trying to just think of those stories now and um, also write things that are that close to me and speak to my experience and I'm hoping that I, I'm from Kansas City, Missouri, and so I'm hoping that I can, you know, also champion stories from my own hometown as well, because I think that'll help um, keep me authentic as a writer and very excited to see where that takes me. But I just, I really want to leave an impact on the industry that will not only, you know, help help myself and um, eliminate some of the, <laughs> you know, the mess in the entertainment industry today, but I want to make space for you know, Black women, Black people, POC, Mm -hmm. you know, the people who may not even think they can get into the industry. Like, it doesn't have to be this hard. (laughs) And I just think it's time for us to share all of our resources and make way, you know, because it doesn't have to be so safeguarded or gatekeeped as it is now. Yeah. Any, any current projects you're working on right now that maybe gives a little intel? <laughs> yes. Oh, my goodness. I always have a problem with working on too many things at once. Yeah. So, <laughs> but, yeah, I'm I, um, speaking of Kansas City, I've been for the trying to work on this project um, related to my hometown. Um, I took this class called Pitching the TV Series in the fall, uh, last fall, and I kind of just made a pitch deck for that. Um, And it's kind of related to my experience of being one of the only Black people at my um, private school going through, starting, you know, all my life. And in Kansas City, it's still kind of like inadvertently segregated, quote unquote, because just because when you look at the neighborhoods and it was just crazy to me going to such an elite school and it felt like a bubble. And I just wanted to kind of write about all that. So working on that trying to remake some of the stuff and change up some of the episodes because of what's going on right now I kind of got some inspiration to change it a bit but 
hopefully I can bring that to life and <laughs> working on a couple other writing projects. Um, during quarantine, I made this short film script about black fishing <laughs> and kind of the inner, um, the intertwining um, correlation of tech and how that's affected a lot of, you know, this term black fishing but yeah and then I, I have this um creative agency with my brother called project philo and i'm trying to make a initiative called philo films just like we were just speaking about trying to make way for poc and film and so we're going to launch that soon and yeah just trying to stay busy but also find balance of course i guess our last question do you in regards to your work your current work your past work do you view yourself as as an activist yeah you know it's uh that's a hard one um i definitely i think i would say so but i also i know that others are probably more you know involved with organizing so I would say I'm an activist maybe not like an, an organizer because i haven't been you know so pivotal and crucial to that but I hope I hope through my work that I can I can um you know be an activist and do it through that way because there was a graphic that I saw um I can't remember but it was talking about how we all have crucial roles towards you know the revolution or um in this moment and so I think I've been trying to figure out the best way I can to help through storytelling and so mm-hmm. I, I, yeah so hopefully if, if it does ring true through my work, then definitely, um, I definitely want to uplift the organizers and activists doing the work now. And I, I wish, I wish more people who are in uh, prominent fields would do so as well. But yeah, definitely. Nice. Yeah, no, that's, that's awesome. That is so cool. And yeah, sorry, I didn't have much to say after that. <laughs> <laughs> Over here flabbergasted, I'm like, wow, this girl's so cool. Oh my say. gosh, thank you. I love you guys. <laughs> yeah, no, we love you too. And thank you so much for coming on Black Fam 2.5 to speak with us a little bit. Yeah, of course. Your work from creator to creator, right? Mm-hmm. You know, it is absolutely awesome to be talking to another like history changer. I oh, I love that. that. <laughs> oh, yeah, our jobs are so, so important. So thank you for doing your job during this pivotal moment in history. Those were such great interviews. And I know we both learned a lot from both Bambi and Lauren. They are on opposite sides of the spectrum because Lauren's still a student, Bambi is a working professional, but they intersect in the sense that they're very aware of the importance of representation and they're very dedicated to creating space for representation. Like they're actively doing it, which is very cool. Right. No, yeah, I completely agree with that. And you know, it's such a privilege to be able to talk to creative thinkers especially during this time period i'm really really grateful that um and especially after chadwick's passing right it's such like a critical moment in history for filmmakers and for black artists and black writers so i really really enjoyed talking to the both of these women yeah very powerful interviews for sure all right fam that was it for this episode thank you guys so much for listening and for our next episode we will catch you at the voting booth